welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. We have back with us uh, Rick Stuckwish. He is the pastor of Emmaus Lutheran Church in South Bend, Indiana. He is a contributing editor to Gottesdienst, our blog. And it's been a while since we have you, but you're always a popular guest, so welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Uh, What we're going to talk about today is the Ascension. Before we get into it, though, I just want to take some time to thank all of our patrons who support us through Patreon. All of your gifts and all of your offerings, they go not to pay us, but rather to keep the fires burning. That is, to make sure that we have the right technology and that we can continue to even host the recordings that we have. So thank you for your gifts as well as your support. It is an encouragement to us to keep going beyond you, what you can know. So thank you. And if you have not supported us, please consider it. Go to patreon.com forward slash goddesstains. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help us churn these things out so that the Lutheran world will continue to hear Godestine's voice, and more importantly, our Lord's. All right, Rick, so the Ascension. Um, What I wanted to do was, it's kind of one of those forgotten feasts along with Epiphany, but though I think it's forgotten more so than Epiphany. And, you know, we know how important it is, not only in what our Lord accomplished, but then for the life of the believer himself. So let's kind of just start from the beginning. Why why celebrate Ascension at all? Well, I mean, the most basic reason, of course, is that it's, you know, part of the gospel. It's part of the story of Jesus. Uh, it was recorded by St. Luke in particular, although it is alluded to uh, also by St. John, by St. Paul. Uh, it's, it's a fundamental part of the Christian creed. And uh, the church has been remembering and uh, celebrating uh, this event, not simply in the life of our Lord in the sense of, well, there's this nostalgic thing that happened and we <laughs> remember it, but it, it's, it's part of his saving work and, and really the culmination of his, his saving work. Uh, it, it's the crescendo of, uh, well, not quite the crescendo of Easter because Pentecost is really the crescendo of Easter, but it's part and parcel with that. And actually for the first few centuries, uh, the church tended to celebrate the Ascension and Pentecost together as one event. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it's really only uh, fourth century that the church starts to um, separate Ascension Day on the 40th day, as as we're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of the the developments. But 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 this is you know our Lord is on this journey. Both Saint Luke and Saint John, especially, uh, give us this picture. This. The Lord goes on this journey from the Father uh, into the far country, even into the depths of our our sin and death. And then he returns to the Father, not to leave us behind, but rather to take us 
in and with himself to the Father. And, and that's what this is all about. So Ascension Day is really our homecoming, in a sense, uh, to the Father, to the place that our Lord has prepared for us in him, first of all, uh, and that's already ours now by faith in the gospel. Uh, but it is, it's the deposit, it's, it's the surety that has been laid up for us uh, in the heavens. And uh, that's where our life is already hidden. And that's what we hope for and look forward to. That's what we're constantly praying for, especially in these gray and latter days. And ascension is a celebration of all those things. You're, you're right, though. I think it has languished. And uh, it's, it's interesting that Ascension and Epiphany both kind of languish uh, in this way because, in a sense, Epiphany and Ascension are, are bookends. Uh, with Epiphany, we, we revel in the fact that God became man, that God is manifest in the flesh and blood of Jesus, that, that God has appeared on earth in the person of the incarnate Son. Uh, so God became man and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Uh, ascension is kind of the reverse of that or the flip side of that in which man uh, now appears in the presence of God. Man uh, has become like God because God has become like man. I, I know that sounds sort of provocative to modern ears, but the early church fathers, especially the Eastern fathers, St. Athanasius and others, this is really the whole point, that our salvation is not simply a gift from God, but it is God sharing his own life with us, giving himself to us and making us uh, participants in his divine nature by, by grace, obviously. Right. Uh, we don't turn into God, but in Christ, God and man are perfectly united. And in the ascension of our Lord, we see not simply the Son of God, you know, returning to the place that he never really left, but we see the Son of God who has become true man. And not only that, but the very uh, man who has borne our sins and suffered our death uh, returning to the right hand of the Father and, and reigning there in glory uh, for us um, so that we are, we are now uh, with him. As St. Paul says, uh, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So that's, that's pretty cool. And that, that is certainly something to celebrate. That, that's what Ascension Day is all about. Yeah, it strikes me at how easy it is for, I mean, these, I want to say, um, minuscule points that, that are so huge that make such a big difference in how we understand what God in Christ Jesus has done for us. That, you know, how, how things like the incarnation that God has made manifest in flesh can languish, or the fact that that same flesh now ascends and it is a man who sits on the right hand of the father to reign right yeah that that it it seems like such a small point but it makes all the difference in the world doesn't it oh it it, it really does um i i think it's a lot like uh the response of the disciples and you know we hear this over and over again uh, as we hear the various resurrection appearance accounts in the Gospels, that uh, not just the first time, but the second, the third time, over and over again, they they don't believe it. And, uh, you know, they're overcome with joy or else they're terrified or they think he's a ghost. And he is at, you know, he, he's at pains to, to demonstrate that, no, he's not a ghost. He, he's, he's risen from the dead in his body. And, you know, he has them touch him. 
uh, and St. John refers to that, you know, they touched him, they handled him, and mm-hmm. they're, they're witnesses of that. But it's also significant, and this is, this is very much at the heart of the ascension, that, um, you know, our Lord is removed from our sight you know, so we don't we don't see him yet with our eyes. You know, with Job, we look forward to that day when we'll we'll see him from our mm. own flesh with our own eyes. But right now, we don't see him with our eyes because he he's now present with his church and in his church uh, in these different ways that the world regards you know with contempt, and even Christians can feel like you know this isn't this isn't very practical. You know, where where's you know where's the take home in all of this? But uh, in Luke. You know, 24, and of course, I'm partial to the Emmaus story because <laughs> my congregation is named for it. But, but really, I mean, that, that is such a, uh, you know, a pivotal story. And what's, you know, first of all, you know, their eyes are prevented from recognizing him on the road. Uh, but then he brings them, in a sense, he brings them to their own table. And then suddenly he's the host. And in the breaking of the bread, which is not just throwaway language, obviously. They're not having cheeseburgers and fries. Right. (laughs) Or fish and chips. Uh, But in the breaking of the bread, that's where they recognize him. And then it's so ironic from our perspective, because as soon as they recognize him, he vanishes from their sight. But he's he's not teasing them or toying with them. The Lord is teaching them, and through them he's teaching us, through St. Luke he's teaching us the way in which he is known and recognized and received in his church is not by sight, uh, and it's not by faith in the sense of some kind of uh, you know, optimism or positive outlook, but by faith in the word and promise of Christ, by faith in the means of grace. We, we recognize him and receive him in the breaking of the bread. So you know, when he then appears again to... Um, uh, the disciples in the upper room, and then when he appears to them on the Mount of Olives uh, before he is uh, received up uh, in the in the clouds and taken from their sight, we we are to to we we are to remember and bear in mind that he's not leaving, you know, he's not absent from his church. Uh, he's known and received. He's with us in the breaking of the bread. Not 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 only there. It's not as though. The Lord's only with us when we're at the supper table receiving the sacrament, although he is certainly there in a very intimate and profound and mysterious way. Mm-hmm. But he is with his church, hidden from our sight, hidden under the cross, hidden in the means of grace, and revealed to us by his word. So for those um, disciples, for the 12 apostles in particular, um, including St. Matthias, and then later St. Paul as, as one born out of due season, but they are witnesses of his resurrection and they did see him with their eyes and they did hear him with their own ears and they touched and handled him with their hands. And by their witness, even to the close of the age, we know uh, that our Lord is with us in the preaching of his gospel, in, in the holy absolution and holy baptism in the holy communion. So, um, all of these stories are connected and Mm -hmm. ascension is not jesus saying okay i've done my part uh i'm leaving you guys take it from here and it's not a tag team deal with the holy spirit that you know he goes back to dad and now the holy spirit can take his turn (laughs) all all of these ways of thinking about it are really pretty misguided just 
just like the the very common notion that it's it's like Jesus is some kind of rocket ship and he's blasting off into <laughs> outer space. I had a, a very dear shut-in member years ago when I was a vicar who honestly was perplexed and troubled that the astronauts had not had not encountered Jesus when they went into outer space. And you know, she had been carrying this kind of thinking around with her since she was a little girl. And you know, I was a vicar, so I probably didn't give a very satisfying response. But um, no, the Lord, the Lord hasn't gone far away from us. He has been removed from our sight, and that's uncomfortable. That I mean, that because we're we're flesh and blood, and we have our doubts and fears, and we like to be able to see things with our eyes. Uh, you know, we're all from the show me state in that regard. Mm-hmm. We, we want to see it, but that's not the way it works. We're given to know and believe uh, and lay hold of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith in the word that he speaks to us. And with that same word, he binds himself to us and us to him in holy baptism. And he feeds himself uh, to us into our bodies so that he abides in us and we abide in him, body and soul, in the Holy Communion. And we look forward to that day when our bodies also will be raised from the dust of the earth and glorified like unto his own glorious body. And the, the pledge of that, the, the beginning of that, the down payment on that, the surety of that is in his resurrection and his ascension uh, to the right hand of the Father, which is not some other place. It's everywhere that God is. Mm. And uh, he's everywhere that God is as true man, our brother in the flesh. That's profoundly wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You get, you know, when you're, you mentioned speaking to that, you know, beloved shut-in, but, you know, even just speaking with um, our, you know, our normal parishioners, you get the sense that they think the disciples had it better when they were with Jesus when he was in his humiliation, right? That Mm -hmm. it would have been better to be alive then when they could have, uh, been with Jesus, uh, and he um, submitted himself to, you know, being bound to a local presence or something like that. And it's it's like they miss the I they miss the insight that I think you just stated there that Jesus in his very uh, manhood, right? Jesus in his body and blood, his flesh as a man is where every everywhere that God is mm-hmm. right that that and not just like he was then but now taking up his full rights his full divine prerogatives yes and taking them up as the true man as the <laughs> son of man who has accomplished you know the purposes of the father he he's he's done it in fact I mean, there's there's really so much that could be said about this, and 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 it will not be exhausted, you know, even through all the years that our Lord, you know, in in patience bears with us and leaves us to preach here on earth. But it's not just the resurrection and ascension that are kind of of one piece, but the cross also, the sacrifice of our Lord. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to me that he makes his entry into Jerusalem on on the cusp of Holy Week from the Mount of Olives, and it's from the Mount of Olives that he ascends into heaven, uh, really, you know, into that heavenly city, the true Jerusalem and free. Um, 
just as he enters into the holy city, you know, to be lifted up uh, in his mm-hmm. crucifixion. And and there and, and John in particular, there's there's not really kind of a you know a downer and then an upper movement, but he's already being lifted up in his sacrifice upon the cross, and that that lifting up really continues in his resurrection and ascension. And uh, it's from the Mount of Olives. I, and I think this is especially beautiful because one of the things that is so fundamental to the ascension of our Lord is the continuation of his uh, great and merciful high priesthood. Um, I think, at least for me, you know, for most of my life, I think I've associated the priesthood of Jesus uh, fairly narrowly with his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, but our confessions rightly point to the fact that his priesthood continues forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. There, there really is no ending to this. And he, certainly his priesthood is exercised in sacrificing himself uh, for us upon the cross, offering that sacrifice of atonement, that sacrifice of propitiation, that sacrifice for sin that ends all sacrifice for sin. But he now, as our merciful and great high priest, as our true and greater Aaron, has entered into the holy of holies, eternal in the heavens, made without hands, where he is our anchor behind the veil, where he ever stands in the presence of God, and where we abide in the presence of God in and with him. And there he ever lives to intercede for us. Uh, I mean, this is this is such a priceless thing that the Lord is always praying and interceding for us. The Holy Spirit is always praying and interceding for us. And, uh, you know, the fact that, that our Lord himself intercedes for us is extraordinarily comforting because, of course, the Father hears and receives his Son, but he also hears and receives us in and with Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is our incense who ascends to the Father, and he smells good to the Father. So we also smell good to the Father, and we are pleasing to him, and we are received into his presence. We're not just tolerated. We're, we're received with you know the Father's glad and open heart, and we are embraced to him, and, and he loves us. And, and there's this wonderful um, sense in which there's both this upward and and downward and outward sort of movement. Our Lord is is returning to the father he's always praying to the father he you know he holds before the father the sacrifice that he offered once for all uh with his holy and precious blood he enters in uh to that holy place so there's that upward movement and as he rises and ascends he takes us with him but there's also then at the same time uh his downward and outward movement through the ministry of his gospel uh, in the liturgy of the gospel, even to the ends of the earth, to the close of the age, so that he is very deeply and intimately present with his church wherever on earth uh, his word is preached, wherever on earth his baptism is administered, wherever on earth his supper is celebrated and administered in remembrance of him in his name and with his authority, wherever sins are forgiven in his name, wherever two or three are gathered together uh, by his word, for his word, in his name, uh, he is there. And uh, so th- this is part of his filling of all things, that he- he's not diminished and he's not departed from us, but he is 
he, he is everywhere. He's, he's before the Father for us as our merciful and great high priest, but he's also actively present and at work in the ministry of the gospel. So as he says to the disciples, as he sends them out, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever hears you uh, hears me. And our confessions understand correctly uh, that, uh, um, you know, that is true for everyone who is called, ordained, and sent by the Lord uh, with his word, with his authority to forgive sins in his name, to baptize in his name, uh, to administer the sacrament in his name, to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name, even to the ends of the earth. So, uh, I, I mean, why celebrate the ascension? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is what it's all about. And right. uh, you, you, you can hardly spend too much time uh, celebrating this because you're never going to exhaust it. And it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, um, and I, I think the difficult, the things that we stumble over, it's kind of like in John 16, you know, and our Lord's farewell discourse, he says, I am going away to go to the Father, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says to the disciples, and all you ask me about is the fact that I'm just going away, mm-hmm. right? All you concentrate on is the first part. But none of you asks me where I'm going (laughs) Uh, or for what purpose. And then he says, because it's to your advantage that I go. Right. So we kind of get hung up on, what do you mean he's not here? Why does he depart? We're like those disciples and we don't see the greater reality behind it. Is it because of a, is it because we are not listening or is it, and I don't necessarily mean like that, you know, this is binary, or is it also along with it that we just fail to have the imagination to kind of wrap our minds around how big and beautiful and wonderful this actually is? Well, it's probably a lot of different things. And I'm, I'm sure for different people, you know, there's different factors and they feel this perhaps more intensely. I, sure. I think there's ups and downs for all of us in our piety and spirituality. And thank God our salvation doesn't rest on that or depend <laughs> on that. But yeah, the disciples, I mean, they're really kind of um, stubborn and, and slow to, to, uh, to get it. And yet they're, they're no worse than we are. In fact, you know, I, I hesitate to even compare any of us to the holy apostles because, you know, they, and by God's mercy, their flaws are on display in the holy scriptures, you know, throughout all of the ages of the church. And yet these are the men that the Lord chose and sent. These men suffered for the sake of the gospel. They preached, they died. Um, so, I mean, I think uh, our, our good friend and colleague, Carl Fabrizius, has often pointed out that a lot of the heroes of the faith really had messed up lives and messed up families and they made mistakes. And yet the Lord was merciful to them. And he wasn't just merciful to them, but he actually used them to accomplish his purposes. So you got Peter in the New Testament, who's such a, you know, an obvious example St. Paul, who was the chief of sinners and the persecutor of Christians. I don't think either of them is uh, a more poignant example than uh, Aaron, uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, particularly appropriate again on Ascension because uh, our Lord is our true and heavenly Aaron who enters into the Holy of Holies. But just think of it, Aaron is the one who at the foot of the mountain, while Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments and instructions for the tabernacle, he caves and makes a golden calf and tells the people this is Yahweh, and uh, I mean, wow, 
you, you could hardly screw up worse than that. <laughs> and then what does God do? He says, you're gonna be my high priest. And I love the fact that every year for, for the atonement first of Aaron and then for the people, he sacrifices the very thing that he made an image of uh, for yes. the people to worship at the foot of the mountain. Um, you know, whether it's because God has such a great sense of humor, or I think rather that he really gives us these examples so that we would not succumb to despair, but, but understand that in our frailty and weakness, uh, there is still mercy to be found uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has accomplished everything for us. So, you know, it, it, it's like it was for those first two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And that I think it's John 16, that the passage that you reference, it's not only to the advantage of those men that Jesus returns to the Father, in spite of the fact that they don't get it, but greater things than these you shall do because he returns to the Father. Mm-hmm. And, and likewise in, in John 7, right, when he talks about the rivers of living water that will spring up in those who believe in him, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit who is received in, with, and through, and because of his glorification, which is, you know, the hour of his cross. But then the hour of his cross is really, um, you know, manifested in his resurrection and ascension. And it's, you know, it's in view of that that he gives the Holy Spirit. So, I, I mean, these things are the fulfillment of God's purposes, but to our flesh, it seems discouraging. The, the cross always seems like the very opposite of what it really is. And uh, I mean, Luther recognized that. And I don't right. think it was because Luther didn't feel this himself. I think it's precisely because he, he did. And you look at the great hymn writers of the church, um, you know, Paul Gerhardt, for example. I mean, the, 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 the man's entire life was one of suffering. And, you know, from the crucible of suffering uh, as, as Christians, the Lord continues to bear good fruits. So we feel like the Lord has abandoned us because we can't see him. Uh, but in fact, he has accomplished everything by his cross and his cross leads not away from, but but to the Father. So the, the, the resurrection and ascension are really the, the culmination of the lifting up of Christ upon the cross. I mean, this this is a continuous returning of Christ to the Father. So on Monday, Thursday, right, this is, this is how John says, uh, you know, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, not, not to the end of the story, but to completion, to perfection. Mm-hmm. And having come from the Father, he returns to the Father and he, bring, he brings us with him. So um, in spite of the way it feels to us and in spite of the fact that in the face of all that he's done, we despair or we get into debates about which of us is the greatest or you know we we decide to go fishing because what else are we going to do um not that there's anything wrong with that but right we we miss we miss the point and yet our lord remains faithful and so uh just as he took those men who were from a worldly standpoint so ill-suited for the task and so unfaithful in themselves and he makes them into his holy apostles and he establishes his holy Christian church and he extends that church you know, all over the world and throughout the centuries and the millennia. And it's never, I mean, 
he, he's going to preserve his church in mercy because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And his gospel is still uh, having free course and, and being heard to the joy and edification of Christ's holy people. So h- how is that possible? It's because in his ascension, far from abandoning us, he fills you know, all things with, uh, with himself and with his presence as our brother in the flesh, as our merciful and great high priest, as our savior and redeemer. And so there, there's no place that he is absent from us, but there are also then these places where he is most intimately present with us through the ministry of the gospel. Yeah, you know, throughout difficult times, and uh, and I don't mean just like personal suffering, but, you know, even as we see, you know, the chaos in our own world and country, the things that are going on all around us mm-hmm. that seem to be in turmoil and being turned upside down, um, how does the ascension help us to understand those things? Well, I, I mean, it certainly puts everything into perspective. Um, I, I think it's, it's more profound than that. I mean, God is not the author of evil, but by the same token, evil doesn't get the, the upper hand on God ever. Um, the devil is never a step ahead of God. And uh, I, I love Luther's expression. I wish I could rediscover it. But, uh, you know, Luther at times will, will say, you know, even the devil is God's devil. And, and when the devil is furiously working to, uh, to counter God's purposes and to undermine his good and gracious will, God is still achieving his purposes. And uh, he thwarts the devil with his own, with his own wicked intentions. And uh, God unfailingly accomplishes his purposes. That's not because everybody's trying so hard or sincerely doing the right thing. It's in spite of the fact that even even his people are constantly messing up and missing the point but god god is fulfilling his purposes and mm. the fact that the crucified one uh reigns forever and ever at the right hand of god and you know in the in the resurrection appearances which um you know all of us have recently heard from john 20 and those of us using the the three year lectionary heard again from saint luke 24 um, and as, as St. John uh, describes in his, his book of the Revelation, I mean, the Lord, even in his resurrection, still bears the, the marks of his cross, right. his wounds, right? And so Thomas doesn't just recognize that, oh, yeah, this really is Jesus, but he recognizes that this man, Jesus, the one who was crucified, is his Lord and his God. That, that is significant in itself, that God is recognized in the wounds of Jesus, right? So when John sees the lamb upon his throne, the lamb is one who has been slain, sacrificed, mm-hmm. and yet behold, he lives. So um, I, I think this is kind of the very opposite of the way the ascension can make us feel. You know, the ascension makes it feel like, you know, Jesus has risen above everything and left us all behind. So we're still down here in the dust and the dirt and you know, he's finished and now he's, you know, relaxing poolside with a mojito or something. <laughs> but no, he, he has fully taken our sin and death and made it his own. And he is still the one who was wounded. He is still the one who was slain. And yet he is the one who sits at the right hand of God. Um, you know, we sing this in, to, in the today I'm right. You know, 
uh, we believe that you shall come to be our judge. Therefore, we pray thee, help thy servants, whom thou hast redeemed with thy precious blood. Right? Mm-hmm. He, he is not a, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one who has been tempted and who has suffered in every way that we do. He is the one who has entered into the Holy of Holies. He is the one, again, as I said before, who is our anchor behind the veil. So there is at once both the, the full sharing in our, in our weaknesses and in, in our suffering and in our, our sorrows and in our temptations. And yet at the other hand, here is the one who has been fully vindicated uh, by God, who has been glorified by the Father, who has been given the name which is above every name. Um, uh, he, he is, it's not simply that, you know, someday he's going to come back and get us. It's that right now, he is with us here in his church, uh, especially through the ministry of the gospel, and we are uh, with him. We are hidden with Christ in God. So, uh, in the midst of all the chaos and confusion, and all the and the, all the hardship and all the suffering and all all the contention and and the disagreements and the differences of opinion, all of the hard stuff. I mean, this last year in that respect is really not unique. It just kind of amped up the volume a bit, and yeah. we, shouldn't, we shouldn't suppose that it's going to get better. I think we should rather suppose that it's going to continue to get worse until our Lord, in His mercy, finally says uh, it, it's time, and and He returns in glory, and then visibly, you know, at last we see our Redeemer stand upon the earth, and from our own flesh, with our own eyes, we behold Him. But in the mean, meantime, we take comfort in the fact that that same Redeemer is is with us, and that. As he uh, fulfilled the purposes of God, not in spite of the cross, but precisely by the way of the cross, by his voluntary suffering and death, by his holy and precious blood, so is he still accomplishing his purposes, not even in spite of all the bad stuff, but he even takes all the bad stuff and he compels it to serve his purposes, um, which you know, we can't grasp that with our human intellect um, because we we can't see it. Uh, well, and, and I agree, but in some respect, we do have hindsight, right? Well, hindsight, yes. I think in retrospect, we can look back and we can we can see it in the lives of others. I think when we're in the middle of it, then it is you know it it is by faith and not by sight. So right. we can we can know better, but even when we know better, our flesh is often still saying. This is one I signed up for, and you know where <laughs> did where did Jesus go? And uh, I mean, I think the children sometimes have a much more pious and faithful grasp of these things than as adults because we become we 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 more and more rely upon ourselves, and we think we've got things handled, and then things spiral out of our control, and the temptation, at least, is to panic. I mean, we don't always because the Lord is faithful. His spirit is at work in us. Uh, he, he, he does work within us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. But we also still are, are, are creatures of flesh and blood and not just creatures, but fallen creatures, mortal creatures. And we have the devil constantly around us day and night. And we have our own mortality weighing us down. And we have this wicked world. So, there, I mean, there's a war that's being raged and it's, it's not easy but the comfort is that in the midst of all that, the Lord is actively present and at work, 
and he is achieving his purposes. So, I mean, I think one of the one of the things, so you asked about, you know, where's the comfort in the ascension in the face of all of the things that are going on in the world. And so I think one of the things we can look to uh, in, in answer to that is uh, in John, uh, in John chapter 20, the beginning of the chapter, you know, when Mary Magdalene is there weeping at the tomb, mm-hmm. uh, because they think that, you know, somebody's, she thinks that somebody's stolen the body of her Lord. Um, just like in Luke 24, everybody's looking for the body of Jesus. And, you know, where is the body of Jesus? It's in the breaking of the bread. That's, that's where you finally find it. But Mary Magdalene is weeping. And then, um, you know, Jesus is there and she doesn't recognize him. He looks like the gardener, which is theological language, if ever there was any, right? She's still thinking old Adam and he's Mm -hmm. the new Adam. He's not the man from the earth. He's the man from heaven to use Paul's language from first Corinthians. But then when she does recognize him, uh, she tries to lay hold of him and he tells her not to. Uh, And he says, uh, you know, I've not yet ascended to uh, to my father and your father, but go and tell my brethren that I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. That, I mean, that's that's beautiful right there because he he identifies his God and father as our God and father, so that's beautiful. But he doesn't want her to lay hold of him, which seems especially strange in light of the fact that uh, in in the other Gospels, when the women meet him on the road, they lay hold of his feet and worship him. And uh, and then when he appears to the apostles, he he tells Thomas specifically, but but in Luke twenty four it's implied as well. You know, go ahead and touch me, check it out, investigate my wounds. Go ahead, stick your hand in here. Mm-hmm. So it, it it feels contradictory, and, and of course it's not. I, I think the key is Mary Magdalene wants to lay hold of what is familiar and what is earthly and what she has known. Yes, uh, and that. That isn't where and how we, we lay hold of Jesus. You know, we lay hold of him in his word and sacrament. We lay hold of him in the ministry of the gospel. We lay hold of him in the liturgy. I mean, that's what Codestines is all about. And we're not just blowing smoke. That's, that's where Jesus is found. And that's where and how we lay hold of him. So we take hold of his feet, which take their stand upon the earth in the divine service, in the sacrament of the altar. And we worship him there. And our worship is received in in heaven in, in in the holy of holies in the presence of God because Christ is here with us and he's also before the father because this isn't about geography or space or location it's about the presence of God and it's about the majesty and mystery of our lord um, but you know we're tempted as well to lay hold of the life that we know here, to the things that are familiar. So when mm-hmm. our loved ones are dying, whether it's our spouse or our parent or our child, we don't, we don't want that to happen. And of course, death is an intrusion, and we don't take life into our own hands. But neither do we cling to it as though this life were all there were. If this right. life were all there were, then we should, of all men, be most pitied. But this life isn't all there is. So I think one of the things that, that God accomplishes through the sufferings of this present time, which aren't even worthy to be compared to the glories of the age to come. But the, the sufferings of this present time are among the ways that God breaks our idolatrous worship of this body and life, yeah. that, that we learn not to look for life and salvation and happiness and peace in the things of this world, 
uh, even though we receive the good gifts of God with thanksgiving and they're sanctified to our use by his word and prayer, nevertheless, those things can come or go. And whether we have many of them or none of them, you know, Christ is ours. So this is why St. Paul bids us not to set our things uh, on things below, uh, but rather to set our sights, our hearts, our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And uh, it's in that context that he says, don't you know that you've died? And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, but, you know, if life here were a bed of roses and everything always went the way we hoped it would, we'd never want to leave. Right. I mean, we'd never, we'd never learn to fear, love, and trust in God above all things because we just keep on fear, loving, and trusting in ourselves and our stuff and our families and, you know, our jobs and our homes and our cars and our vacations and all of that stuff that, these are all good, God's good gifts, but the problem is that we take God's good gifts and we turn them into God's instead of receiving them as gifts. Right. And so I think the ascension, the ascension of our Lord lifts our hearts and minds and spirits up. Uh, and that's what the collect of the day really, you know, prays that God would enable us to do, that we would, you know, we would ascend in heart and mind. Um, we don't try to ascend with our bodies ahead of time. Our bodies are where God put them. And it's in our bodies that we receive the sacraments and hear the gospel. That's in our bodies that we love our neighbor and, and serve our vocations. But we lift our hearts and minds uh, up to where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which is which is really, I think, what Jesus is saying to Mary Magdalene. You know, don't right. don't grab hold of me here. Um, so there's a tension there, but the sufferings of this present time help to break us of that idolatry and. Um, I mean, how many of us over this past year, for example, have not prayed more fervently than ever, come quickly, Lord Jesus? And right. I think that's, that's for the good. The, the church thrives under persecution, not because her life gets easier, but in a sense, precisely because her life in the world gets harder and she stops trying to make the world into her home and she learns to find her home uh, in and with Christ, in his body, crucified and risen from the dead. And uh, where she does that, where she lays hold of that, and where each of us as Christians lays hold of that crucified, risen, and ascended Lord is in the breaking of the bread, in the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, in, in the word of Christ that he speaks through men, frail men of flesh and blood, subject to death just like the rest of us, but who are called and sent in his name uh, to speak you know, his word even to the ends of the earth. That is so true that we take the good gifts of God and make them into our idols, whether it's life or you know any of the other things that God graciously gives to us. And the ascension, uh, as you have said, kind of breaks that. I mean, he sends, Jesus tells us in John that he sends the Spirit to convict or convince the world of sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it does not believe in him. Mm -hmm. That what is highlighted is not specific sins, but or outward sins, so to speak, but really, you know, the original sin, the, 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 the sin that does not believe in God and what he has promised. Right. That doesn't and, take that doesn't take either his law or his gospel seriously. We, right. we, actually, we actually think we know better than God. <laughs> and and that, 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 that proclamation um, chafes against our flesh. Mm -hmm. 
right? I mean, you know, even you know, the best of pastors think, uh, you know, that their faith is good until they find out that it's not. <laughs> right. Which is, which is very humbling and very sobering, but thank God <laughs> that he doesn't give up on us, but rather he, he humbles us unto repentance and then he exalts us in, in his forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think, you know, being able to recognize, uh, as we do oftentimes after the fact, to say, thanks be to God he did this, because <laughs> um, I, had he not, I may have been on the road to hell, mm-hmm. right? Um, my father-in-law gave me some advice, like early on when I was married to, to Lauren, and he said, Jason, start a miracle file, like, you know, a, a file folder. Mm-hmm. Like whenever things that you have no idea how they're going to come out, um, and then just put in there what God did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not, it, you're going to miss some along the way, but that allows you some of that hindsight mm-hmm. to be able to go through and remember that when you hit a spot again, look at all these times that God has provided. And it's almost as though this is also what St. Paul is talking about in, you know, Romans and 1 Corinthians when he says, you know, these things were happened to them as examples, but they were written down for your instruction. Right. That this would also be our miracle file, chief of which is the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Right. God raised Jesus from the dead. The, the apostles never get tired of saying that. Right. And I, I, I try to point out to people that, uh, you know, there are really no hopeless situations. God raised right. Jesus from the dead. So, um, I mean, I think your father-in-law gave you beautiful advice because how often don't we face things that just seem absolutely devastating and insurmountable? And there's no way there, there's, there, there's no way they're going to work out. There's not going to be any solution. And then, like you say, in hindsight, it's like, oh, well, God took, took care of that. And uh, it's, it's not that we have a promise that life on earth is going to be uh, easy peasy. Uh, clearly, the Lord really promises the opposite. Anyone who right. would come after me bears the cross. But the cross itself is, is a curse, but it's a curse to sin and death. And it is ultimately a blessing. It is the fountain of life. It is right. the cross that our Lord gives us himself, gives us his spirit, pours out his spirit generously upon us. And it is by the cross that he is lifted up for our salvation. And then he keeps on going and he takes us with him. So, right. uh, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's extraordinarily comforting. And if, if we would take that to heart, we would have less anxiety. But the fact that we still have anxiety is why the Lord is so patient in continuing to catechize us, to call us daily to repentance and daily and richly to forgive us all our sins. Uh, He's constantly calling us back to the upper room, constantly calling us back to the temple. That, that's one of the things about um, the very brief accounts of the uh, ascension at the end of Luke is, you know, Jesus is taken from their sight and they go back to Jerusalem with great joy and they're daily in the temple. And right. it's like, huh, that seems like almost an odd response because I know when somebody I love goes away, you know, I, 
even if I know it's all for the best, I'm pretty sad. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm fighting tears and I don't really feel like doing anything. Mm-hmm. And here you would think, oh, wow, Jesus has been taken from their sight. And this is a pretty, you know, pretty significant leave taking in a sense. And they're filled with joy. And then where are they? They're in the temple uh, constantly praising God. And in, in the Acts of the Apostles, interestingly, they go from the ascension to the upper room. And I think there's, there's some instruction in that for us, that yeah. the temple now was found where the body of Jesus is found, and the body of Jesus is found in the Lord's Supper, uh, I mean, which, which really takes us back to what I've already talked about. But mm-hmm. the, 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 these are the, the bookends to the same mystery of the faith, that the Lord ascends into heaven not to go away, not to leave us behind, but in order to be profoundly and intimately present with us and actively present with us and among us, tabernacling among us in the breaking of the bread, in in the liturgy of word and sacrament, in the gathering of his people by and for his word. Um, that's, That's where he's found. And that's where we find great joy, even in the face of all of those earthly sorrows. In the world you have tribulation, uh, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And where do we see the fact that he's overcome the world if not in his resurrection and ascension? We don't see it in the cross. There it looks like the world has overcome him. Not so, but that's what it looks like. But in the resurrection and ascension, right, the world is under his feet along with sin, death, and the devil. God puts all of his enemies under his feet. And uh, so, you know, we take heart and we don't despair, but we rejoice and uh we worship him by returning thanks and praise to the one who gives himself to us uh, so generously, so intimately, so so beautifully, so mercifully uh, through his means of grace. In Advent, we pray, stir up your power, O Lord, and come. Is the ascension the fulfillment of that, where his power is fully taken up to deliver us? That's uh, you know I haven't thought about it in those terms, but I I think that you you've put your finger on something uh, that that's quite accurate. Um, you know the Lord, I, I think it's hard for us maybe maybe as you know modern or postmodern or whatever kind of people we are now, or maybe it's just because we're creatures of flesh and blood and we we live in a in, in space and time. But um, I think it's hard for us not to think about these things spatially. And uh, in terms of kind of location, that the Lord's going from point A to point B. Yeah. So the, the coming of our Lord, uh, you know, in Advent, everybody's so consumed with thinking about the fact that Christmas is coming. Right. Um, if they aren't already celebrating Christmas in their own way. <laughs> but, um, you know, Advent historically, or what we call Advent historically, was as much or more about the expectation of Christ's return for the final judgment, his coming for for the final judgment. But along with that, there was, of course, the remembrance of his coming in the flesh, his incarnation, um, but also his coming in his church, uh, in the ministry of the gospel. Uh, And I think you're really onto something when you connect that to the ascension, that uh, he now exercises all power and authority which he has received of course it was always his as the son of god but he receives it from the father in his human flesh and blood just like he receives the holy spirit from his father in his baptism and in the resurrection so 
He receives all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And how does he choose to exercise it? He, he, he exercises that authority by sending out his men to preach, to forgive sins, to baptize, to administer his body and blood in remembrance of him. And so his, his coming is he comes from the Father and he returns to the Father. So his coming is as much his return to the Father as it is his coming into the flesh in the first place. And in his coming to the Father, uh, his, his men are sent uh, to come in his name um, wherever he himself will go, is how Luke puts it. Uh, right. when, when, when Jesus sends out the 70, he sends them ahead of his face to every city and every place where he himself will go. So if he has sent his minister to his church in, in this or that place, you know, for all of our listeners, uh, you know, to, to everyone the Lord has sent a pastor, he himself goes. Right. And uh, his, th- this is what I think is, is kind of, it breaks our, our heads a bit, which is probably good, but it looks like he's going away from us, but in coming to the Father, he's also coming to his church you know, even to the ends of the earth. So I, I haven't thought about it exactly before, so I'm, I'm thinking out loud with you, but I think, I think you've put your, some, your finger on something rather profound there. Any final thoughts? Thing, uh, you know, one takeaway that um, our listeners should have about the Ascension and then why they should go to an <laughs> Ascension service. Sure. Well... It's, it's in there, it's in the Psalms, it's in, it's in the Gospels, it's in the Epistles of St. Paul, it's in the hymns of the church. There's some beautiful Ascension hymns, which we don't really get to sing as often as, as we, we maybe should. Um, the, the one Christopher uh, Wordsworth hymn is, is just wonderful in its uh, typological preaching of the Ascension, see the Lord ascends in triumph. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we have, we're, we're, well, bombarded with so many distractions and so many temptations and, and so many disappointments. And uh, uh, it's easy to get discouraged. And I think, you know, Paul had those temptations too, as did Dr. Luther. Um, and it's, I think in response to that, as, as we've discussed, the ascension really is a, a, a beautiful remedy because it, it does... Uh, lift up our hearts and minds uh, to to Christ seated at the right hand of God, uh, not far away from us, but to to that place He has prepared for us by His by His cross and in His resurrection and ascension, where we now reside in and with Him with God by faith in the gospel, uh, so that we don't get bogged down by the hardships of this body and life, but we rather learn from those hardships uh, to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And to embrace the ascension rightly is to understand that in, uh, in his ascension, our Lord, our Redeemer, the one who has redeemed us with his precious blood, fills all things and is, is present uh, with his people as he promises always. Lo, I am with you always. But he connects that promise especially to um, the preaching of his word and to holy baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in, 
in each of the Gospels, each of them in different ways, but in each of the Gospels, you really see our Lord pointing his disciples and through them pointing us to the life of his church, uh, to the temple of his church, to the upper room of his church, to the breaking of bread in his church, to the sacrament of holy baptism, to the gift of holy absolution, to the preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name, so that precisely in having our hearts and minds lifted up to behold Christ at the right hand of the Father, our hearts and minds, our body, souls, and spirits are directed to uh, the font and pulpit and altar, to the gathering of our Lord's body, the church, to the life that is ours in and with him in the liturgy of his gospel. And I know probably, you know, many people would say, of course he's going to say that he's one of those Godestines guys. But no, this isn't this isn't about, well, this is my bailiwick or this is my my niche or this is my hobby. This is what our Lord has given us. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this is where the gospels bring us. Uh, I mean, the Lord leads us as disciples who are downcast and discouraged and disappointed. He leads us into the scriptures and he opens the scriptures to us. And by that catechesis, he leads us to the table and he reveals and gives himself to us in the breaking of the bread. And the Jesus who does that is the Jesus who has borne our sins and suffered our death and atoned for our sins with his blood, who has risen from the dead, who has been glorified by the Father and is seated at his right hand, where he governs all things in heaven and on earth, where he has our life safely hidden with the Father in himself, so that uh, you know our, our life has meaning and purpose, and uh, the goal is uh, not in sight, but it is already in Christ, and it is ours by faith, and the day is coming when we shall see it, and then we shall be uh, like him, and we shall see him as he is. So. I, I would hope that's what people hear and receive in the celebration of the Ascension, mm-hmm. uh, which avails for us and remains true for us uh, in any case. Uh, Christ be praised. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. It, it's a reminder of not only why we have a celebration of the Feast of Ascension every year, but why we confess this in our creed, right? why we remind ourselves week in and week out, that Jesus is not just crucified, died, buried, and raised, but that he is ascended for precisely the reasons that you have discussed with us this past hour. So thank you for your time, and I look forward to having you on again. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Jason. God bless. God bless.